Morning, everybody. Or if you're watching online later, good evening, good afternoon, good night. <laughs> Depending on your time frames. Well, uh, this is one of my favorite ever topics, the Bible. Um, and to talk on the question, the big question, can I trust the Bible? Um, I mean, the answer is yes, so let's just go, shall we? <laughs> but um, I just thought I'd, I'd kind of journey this through a passage of Scripture. I'm not really one to talk about things without getting our noses right stuck in, in God's Word itself. So I'm going to start us off in Luke 3, if you want to follow on. And we'll draw out the answers to whether we can trust the Bible through the writings of Luke, who was a doctor um, and recording um, what happened historically, and we'll kind of learn a bit more about that. But let's look at what um, Luke writes to us about kind of a time in history where we're hearing about Jesus and how that might inform us about the Word of God. So this is Luke 3, um, starting at verse 21. When all the people were being baptised... Jesus was being baptized too. As he was praying, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. And this is what the voice said. You are my son, whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. And when we read passages of scripture that are relating to Jesus, when we read passages of scripture when God is speaking to his own children who he dearly loves, he is also talking in history to them, but by the power of his spirit, he's talking in the present to us. Let's look at that again. <laughs> you are my son. You are my daughter, my precious child. I love you, and I'm pleased with you. That's how we can read the Word of God. The Bible wasn't specifically written to be a love letter, but it is, in fact, also a love letter. Full through the pages and the manuscripts in history, there are affirmations for us as the people living on this planet and loving words from God directly to us. The interactions of God don't just tell us the words he spoke, but the heart he had for the world he'd created. It tells us how God feels. And as God said it then and did it then, he wants to, by his word, do it again for us today. So let's just remind ourselves, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, says the words of the psalmist. But that is from God to you. You are beautiful. Your eyes, <gasps> song of songs, to you. I came to save you, not to condemn you. While you were still a sinner, Jesus Christ died for you, Paul, to the Romans, but God to us. You are chosen, royal, holy. You are God's treasure. You are born to show the goodness of God who called us all out of darkness in his wonderful light. A message in Peter, but to us. It's important when we read the word of God, remember the word of God, call to mind the word of God, that we're hearing the words of love from our Father, just like Jesus did 
why don't we read on in Luke 3? Because it's about to get exciting. Or maybe in the words of what Anna just said, perhaps maybe in our preconceived ideas, we might find this boring, but hold on and see what God might be wanting to show us. We move on in that chapter of Luke 3 to verse 23. He's just been baptized. The spirit of God has come upon him like a dove. He's heard the words of his father. And now listen to this. Jesus himself was 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathak, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsi, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Matthew. It goes on, it goes on, it goes on. Scroll through, Cheryl, <laughs> all the way down. The son of, 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 the son of. And what God is showing us is he is the God of history. <laughs> he knows us through all generations. You sitting here now, he knows your whole family line and he tracks Jesus's right back until we pick it up in verse 37. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enoch, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. <laughs> that is Jesus. <laughs> that is Jesus. And that is you. That is you, because the first phrase in the whole of the Bible was in the beginning, God. That's where we started, and that's where we're going. Packaged in the pages, written through the man's manuscripts of time. So the Bible is not meant to be a history book, but goodness me, doesn't it tell us history? Doesn't it fit us in an eternal context? Doesn't it say uniquely our special place in the eternity of this world, where we find ourselves uniquely at this time? And loads of other kind of narratives and stories and religious ideas were around when these manuscripts and these texts were starting to be drawn on. But, you know, the Bible is unique in how it talks about our humanity, unique in how it talks about the condition of our humanity, unique in, tell, in how it tells us the full damage and the extent of our brokenness, and unique in how it shows God wants to fix it. We hear about society, we hear about problems and distortions and damage, but we hear about amazing God solutions. And at a basic level, we hear about humanity could live when we live with God. Karl Barth, he was a famous theologian, he wrote, When we open the Bible, we enter an unfamiliar world of God, a world of creation and salvation, stretching endlessly above and beyond tiny little us. Words of men and women, long dead or separated by miles or even years. They come off a page. They enter our lives freshly, precisely, conveying truth, beauty, goodness, words of God that his spirit has used to breathe life into our souls. That is the word of God. And um, they had so many creation myths, even if we were just looking at the book of beginnings in Genesis. If you want to start there, there were Mesopotamian myths, creations, myths from Babylonian times, Egyptian understandings of creation. And then we have the Bible text and the manuscripts that talk about creation. It's so weird and interesting to think, why would God have put that creation account in? Is it literal? Is it not? Who knows? I wasn't there. I have no desire to argue my point. I was not there. 
there. But um, it's interesting why God thought it was important because, you know, one of the ideas was this, that a sun god impregnated the sky god through her own mouth and then passed out to reproduce himself. <laughs> and that's why God, I mean, it's bonkers, isn't it? <laughs> and then another um, religion was saying how they thought there were sea monsters. But when we look at the text and we read why God thought, I'll say this about creation. In the beginning was me, <laughs> and I was hovering over the waters, raging gods in the waters. Oh no, spirit of God over the waters. Strange interactions between sky and a sea monster and the sun god. No, then we're all at the mercy and slaves of these awful monstrosities of gods that were just, we had to appease. That's what they thought back then, but actually no. Here's God's idea. We are a divine design, <laughs> intricately planned, strategically considered, works of beauty given authority to create for ourselves, to name for ourselves, to fill the earth for ourselves, so different to the beliefs about the gods of the day. How fascinating that that's why we've got that in our text. The Bible's got loads of memorable events. Pick your favorite, you know, David and Goliath, the, the waters parting and people walking into freedom the, from the Egyptians. Off go the Israelites. Encounters through real situations in those times, real responses. It talks about the plan of God to create, to save, to heal, to restore, to work through murderous villains and evil kings and stories of love, stories of war, stories of real battle, stories of pain. Isn't it amazing what we find in the pages of these, book, these books? And I say these books because there's 66 books really, all contained in one text brought together. And over the years, archaeologists and historians, they've actually used the Bible to confirm customs of the day, find out where cities were, look into towns, look up battles. And actually, it's even used as a guide sometimes for archaeological excavations. Who knew that? And they found different pieces of the Bible, actually, later on in life, because those of us who will run into difficulties in conversations where people say, oh, is it just made up by people? You know, it's not really real. Well, you know, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, didn't they? In the 11 caves, which were called the Qumran Caves um, out in Israel. And from 1947 onwards, they kept finding bits of manuscripts. And um, they found, including finding entirety of the Old Testament books, every single one of them they pieced together. Apart from one, they don't have Esther. But there was, um, when I went out to Israel, we saw that had been spread around the caves of, 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 spread around the walls of a cave, the entire book of Isaiah. <laughs> How amazing is that? And so, you know, and in these little bits, these tiny little documents, these fragments of history, they found all sorts of information about Jewish sects and Jewish communities, how people lived. It was absolutely incredible. So whilst the Bible wasn't meant to be written to be a history book, we can find history in it. Whilst it wasn't meant to be a humanitarian resource, we find guidelines for our own humanity. It wasn't meant to be a science textbook, but there's science in there. It wasn't meant to be an archaeological findings book of reference, but there's archaeology in there. It wasn't meant to be about the sun and the moon and all of the astronomy and all the facts and figures, but we find that in there. 
It wasn't meant to be a geography book, but we find geography in there. It's so incredible. And so I've just put some references up that if you're talking to people who are wrestling and struggling um, about the Bible, you might want to point them to these. The first one is my favorite one. It's about the creation of the toilet. <laughs> Listen to this. <laughs> this was from Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 12 to 13. You shall set off at a place outside the camp and you must go out to use it. And when you go, you must carry your spade among your gear. You must dig a hole, have easement, turn and cover your excrement. <laughs> See? Profound. And <laughs> that's in the Bible. Thousands of years ahead. Hello. <laughs> Let's correct Wikipedia immediately on who invented the toilet. It was God. God gave detailed instructions on the safest methods to clean your hands because he knew we would die if we didn't. Is this sounding familiar from the last couple of years? Hello, it's in the Bible. <laughs> you know, washing your hands in Numbers 19. But you know what? In the 1840s, a doctor called Ignaz Semmelweis, what an amazing name. He was working in a hospital on the maternity wards and he'd noticed that so many women were dying at the hands of doctors and they just performed aut autopsies. They didn't wash their hands, and then they were going into the maternity wards. And then after a frightening cost to lives, this Jewish doctor was reading through our Old Testament, what he would call his Torah. He realized that these instructions on hand washing were very, very clear about washing your hands after handling the dead. And then after, after this frightening cost to lives, it was then instated in the 1960s that we should wash hands in hospitals. That came in New York details of how to do it. But the Bible got there first. If only we had listened. He knows God, doesn't he? He knows. Then we've got, you know, the positions of the sun and the moon and stars. They're all in scripture. It's not our clever generations that found it all out and wrote it all down. It was there before. It says in Jeremiah that the stars were countless. And actually now people say they're innumerable. We have no idea how many stars there are. Oh yeah, correct. It says that in the Bible. There's accounts of a great flood in history. It's in the Bible. It talks about the water cycle, the scientific water cycle. That's in Job and Ecclesiastes. So it's not the full facts, but we've got enough in there for people with those questions. Please use them. Because God didn't make us completely brainless. He knows what we're going to have as, as challenges. And the Bible was decided. It's called the canon of scripture. So I guess if you were writing a book about my life, you guys, <laughs> um, <laughs> writing about me, I'd want it to reflect my personality. I'd want it to be accurate to my heart. I'd want key events to be put in there. Probably not all of them. You'd probably have different perceptions on me, depending on whether you caught me on a good day or a bad day. You'd have moments in history where you knew me and walked with me. That's the same as when they were compiling the Bible. So certain things didn't make it in, and certain bits did. And so, you know, some people go, well, why is this not in here and this? But you have to know God. It's the only book we'll ever read where we have the, the opportunity to encounter the author. An old evangelist and preacher called D.L. Moody, my parents loved this guy, <laughs> um, he wrote this, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, it was given to change our lives. Let's look at some other scriptures that remind us of, of what happens with, 
with, our, with the word of God in our hands. Psalm 119, you're my refuge, my hiding place, my shield. I hope in your word. Ephesians 6 talks about us picking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we can read scriptures and find what people call, the theologians would call it a rhema word, which is a kind of leaping out, living, weaponized word. And so, you know, <laughs> when we're reading it, it would actually take us probably about 70 hours to read out loud all in one go. And I feel quite challenged about my screen time. <laughs> you know, I think, well, I haven't got time to read the whole Bible in one big block. But if I look at my screen time, to be honest, I probably could. <laughs> so, you know, I'm wondering about having a crack at that soon. It's, it's kind of inspired me. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So really, when we read the Bible, it's a living word. It's kind of reading us, shaping us, changing us, putting truth in us. It's living. So it's not just history. It's living in us now as we read it. It shapes and forms us. The words of Paul to Timothy, all scriptures God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. A kind of polite nudge to us. How equipped are you feeling? How ready are you feeling? Do you feel equipped for every good work? Maybe we need to read our Bibles more. I'm talking to myself here. Words in James. This, these are strong. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God's planted in your hearts. It has the power to save your souls. <sighs> Why don't we read on in Luke? We've seen Jesus is baptized. He's been affirmed. And then this is what happens next in chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tested by the devil for 40 days. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now interesting fact here, the last thing God said to him was, you're my son. I love you. I'm pleased. Look at the first thing the enemy says to him. If you're the son, do this. Interesting. Be on your guard for the last thing God said to you. Because someone's trying to nick it off you. And how you get it back is this. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And he's quoting Deuteronomy. Then the devil led him to a high place, showed him an instant to all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it'll be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. I don't need this stuff, thank you. <laughs> Then the devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, hurl yourself down from here. It is written. He'll command your angels concerning you. 
to guard you carefully. Notice this is the enemy quoting scripture here. Sneaky. They'll lift you up in their hands so you won't strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered, (laughs) it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting Deuteronomy. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News spread about him throughout the countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he was in the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, setting the oppressed free, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Just imagine the scene. And so those of you who would say, don't take the Bible out of context, I refer you to the previous passage where the enemy was properly seen off and Jesus was sent out. He was led by the Spirit to be tempted, but because he knew the word of God, he didn't have to flummox around. And I was talking to my friend Jill Cheeseman, who I call the walking Bible. (laughs) And she said, well, Jesus didn't have to go, hold on a minute, I know a verse about that. Now, where's my scroll? He knew it. And it's not just because it was like supernaturally infused in him because he was God. No, you know, we read that he went to the temple. He was studying so much, his parents thought he'd gone missing because he was reading the word. But he knew how to rightly use the word. It's a sword. It was a sword in the hands of Jesus. And if, it, if he needed it, let me tell you, don't think you can go out here and face the world and the enemy without that in your hand, without that in your heart to call to mind without being equipped for the good works of God. Smith Wigglesworth, who was quite a crazy evangelist, but really knew the word of God, he said this, some people read their Bibles in Hebrew. And it's fun to find out the Hebrew meanings of words. I encourage you to do that. Some read it in Greek, again, New Testament. It's interesting to find out the original meanings. But he said this, I like to read mine in the Holy Ghost. And it said that he wouldn't go to a preach until he'd prayed in tongues long enough that he felt the connection, that he was the living word was living in him. And sometimes he would not come until he was in that place. Spiritual writings, aren't they? They were recorded orally, passed on down and then written because they're God-breathed. And so they're spirit-sourced, spiritual. So they need spiritual reading. (laughs) not just flat text like we're reading a textbook. Now, I'll just share some of the things that God's spoken to me about when I've been reading scriptures. Phrases leap. I wonder what your phrases are, the sentences that we would call verses, but really they're sentences, aren't they, from God? I remember um, when I was praying about what to do, the first time I was leaving the staff of Trinity years ago, and um, I'd had this dream of um, gemstones on my heart, 
And weirdly, I was then looking up in Exodus. It talked about Aaron had these gemstones on his heart. And I thought, that's really weird. I wonder what they meant. And so I did some research. They were all different colors. They meant different things. They were about communicating with God in the Holy of Holies. And they represented tribes. And in Exodus 28, 29, it said, Aaron will have the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on his heart every time he enters the holy place. I'll never forget my people. And I remember as I was preparing to leave and asking God, what should I do? He said, I'm going to give you 12 tribes and you will feel them on your heart. I went to meet this guy um, randomly at at a garage and he said, I need to meet you. God's told me your name. I have 12 meetings that need a consultant and it needs to be prophetic. And I think it's you. I was like, oh, Jesus is setting me up. But it was through his word. It was through a dream and it was through his word. Um, I sometimes wrestle with um, just, you know, I read in scripture, God's my provider. But if I'm being honest, that's the area where I've probably had the most answers to prayer, literally ridiculous answers to prayer. I've been given a car. I've been given the engagement ring on my finger from a random woman in a conference um, that my husband then gave gave to me, which saved us quite a lot of money. Um, But I still really wrestle with the area of provision. That's just my Achilles heel I suppose one day and I was thinking well when my parents die I won't even be able to bring up the bank of mum and dad what earth am I going to (laughs) do some of you familiar with this concept (laughs) Um, and it said this in Genesis 25 verse 11 after Abraham's death God blessed his son Isaac and I suddenly had this revelation trust the Lord (laughs) don't just look to your parents I am your father I'm the perfect parents, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I created this whole earth. Do you think I'm going to leave you? I wonder what your phrases are that, like Jesus, you need to pull out in a moment. <laughs> I'll just read some out to you that I've, I've put up. These are all um, phrases from Jesus, but I encourage you to take them out of context on purpose, to pray them in, to make them prophetic declarations, because this is a living word that we have. Let your light shine. (laughs) Be reconciled. Be perfect, which actually the literal translation in the Greek means operate as designed, (laughs) according to perfection that God made you. How interesting. Precious off, guys. Do not fear. Anyone need to hear that one? Let him hear. (laughs) Be clothed with power from on high. Go in peace. Be healed of your trouble. Get up. (laughs) Quiet. Be still. That's when Jesus was talking to a storm. If you have a storm in your life, hear it. (laughs) Declare it. Pray it. Receive it. And then these words from Jesus on the cross. It is finished. So... This is mine, and this is new. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) My new Bible, because, confession of the day, I can't read my old one anymore. (laughs) The print is too small. (laughs) So it's not because, like, I read it so much and the pages fell out, although there were some tattery bits, but mainly because I read it in the bath. (laughs) 
And then this is my journal. And I write down phrases that stand out. I write truths. I write prayers. I write declarations. I write rambles. I write where I've Googled what was the meaning of that word. I wonder why they said that or what was the context. I write it down. And I do this very strange thing once a year. I shred the whole thing. <laughs> and um, I pull out of it. I kind of, Before I shred it, I pull out of it the key themes that I felt God was showing me through it. And then I think it's done. It's gone in me. God's word has done his job for a year. Next journal. <laughs> and um, that's just what I do. Um, but um, let's just look at the last, last um, slide, Cheryl. So this, this book, these manuscripts collated, these living words of God that, that are living and active, they declare the love of God, but it's not a just solely love story, is it? <laughs> or it's just not a love letter but it is partly a love letter. Contains prayers. Look at those psalms, those wailings of David, the reality of the, the mistakes of his life and the consequences. But there are prayers here that might become our prayers that we then pray. You know, I read that, um, that phrase I showed you earlier, you know, I hope in your word. I turn that into a prayer. God, help me hope in your word or show me how I can hope in your word. I choose to hope in your word. That's how I would pray that. Take it and I pray it. So there's prayers. It's a prayer book. It's crammed full of prayers. It's crammed full of history, but it's not a history book. It's crammed full of our humanity, but it's not just a humanitarian textbook. It's crammed full of science, but it's not a science book. It's crammed full of archaeology, but it's not an archaeological findings book. <laughs> it's crammed full of astronomy, but it's not meant to be just about astronomy. It's got geography, but it is a book of truth. It is a book of hope. It is a book of instructions. It is a book with God's solutions, and it is a book with prophecy. And I commend to you the word of God, <laughs> sharper than a sword. I wonder how yours is going. <laughs> I know how mine is going. I've got room for improvement. <laughs> you know, Jesus didn't need to, like, even find the scroll, he pulled on it. He drew from it with, from within. And it says, doesn't it, in the scriptures that we ask the Holy Spirit to remind us of the words spoken by God. So why don't we do that now? Why don't we turn... Um, there's, a, there's a church I went to talk in in the Forest of Dean and they do this thing and they do it with the adults as well as the kids and they say, draw your swords. <laughs> and everyone lifts up their Bible like this. And I used to do it draw your sword and then they say find this and everyone rummages and finds the pages there's a contents page in the bible it's very helpful <laughs> there's google now we can google the bible <laughs> but i commend it to you draw your swords church draw them again you know we're not on holiday <laughs> In the world, there's battles, there's lies we'll have to face. And if we don't have truth in us, we will be crushed. We've drink a lot of cans in our household. And um, the recycling feels endless. <laughs> but you can easily crush an empty can. You can't crush a full one. If you're full of the word of God, you will not be crushed. <laughs> the feet will come upon your life of the enemy. But he cannot crush you if you're full of truth. You withstand. So um, if you have questions, brilliant book to recommend. 
also highlighting what Anna said earlier in the, in the family slot, the all-age slot about, you know, the Bible Project is amazing for getting behind the scenes. This is a brilliant book called Why Trust the Bible by Amy or Ewing. She's got a massively bigger brain than I have, and she'll explain things in a much more eloquent uh, theological way than I have, but um, really helpful um, book to read, and it's on the bookstore if you want it. There's, quite, there's a few copies, um, and I'm sure we can order you some more in if you want them as well. Um, but why don't we pray? Why don't we draw our swords? <laughs> why don't we listen to God to bring verses to mind? And I'm going to give us a minute of silence. And I'm not going to do loads and loads of prayer ministry, although we will be willing to pray for you for anything afterwards. But how I'd like to do this part is if you have a verse that comes to mind that you think, I think that's for the whole church, I want you to come and read it out. <laughs> We probably can't do loads, so I'll take three. <laughs> Just one verse or one phrase. But you might sort of get to that phrase in all sorts of ways. Um, just quite a fun story from the other night. Um, Tim and Sue and I were praying and listening to God for um, the Transform Ministries. And I just had my mind thinking about food banks. Um, I was thinking about, you know, could, how can we get more food in to provide? God, you're the provider. We don't want anyone to be hungry in this town. Lord, use this food as we bless this food to people's mouths. Would they take in the hope of Jesus? I was doing this whole prayer, walking around the Trinity car park. And... Um, it came to my mind about when you bring in the Malachi talks about bring the whole tithe to the storehouse so that everyone is fed. And then from that place, God will pour out and open the floodgates of heaven so much that we can't contain it. So I was thinking, oh, I pray that in, Lord, please bring the food. Please pour out your blessings as we bless others with food open up heaven to this church family. And as I read that text in my Bible, I had a text from my next door neighbor who's a student saying, hey, Helly, I've got loads and loads of food. We're about to leave for the summer. Where can I bring it? And I text, weird, <laughs> I'm just praying for food. Bring it down to Trinity House. And so in the middle of our prayer meeting, my not yet Christian student neighbor walks in with bags of tins of food. <laughs> as we're praying for the transformation. But I got it from the word of God. I prayed it in and it came. <laughs> I'm not saying that's always the case. I've got my own pain and disappointments on multiple issues. The list is endless, but I'm telling you, I know that happened then. <laughs> Little encouragement. So let's draw our swords. What does God want to say to you? It might be personal. If you get a phrase from scripture, it might be come and share. And I'll take three. So first three up, <laughs> that's, your, that's your cue. So Lord, thank you. We don't want to read just in Greek and Hebrew. We want to be reading in the power of the Spirit, led by the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Remind us of what we've read that you want to draw to our attention or even just give us a number and the name of a book that we're to just delve into and find. And you have full permission not to go on any other thing, but if you need to Google it on your phone, you can. <laughs> and if you're watching at home, feel free to, I'm not sure if the chat's still on, but you can post on the chat. We include you here. <laughs> 
Speak, Lord. We want to hear you through your word. Guide us. Give us answers, solutions, hope, truth, strategy. Bring it, Lord. Bring it to your family today. Sarah has drawn her sword. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, brilliant. Is it okay to use the other mic, Jamie? Thank you so much. Um, I'm sort of cheating because Andrew read this and staff prayers on Thursday, but um, I do feel like I need to read it now. Um, so we're looking at Isaiah 43, starting at verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Okay. Lord, thank you for these verses. Thank you that you are doing a new thing in all of us, but also in Trinity. I pray for those times where it's really easy to just dwell on the past, to just live there. And pray that you'd give us hope for where we are now and for all that is coming. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Cool. Got another one? Oh, I'll take, oh, okay, this is it now. Come on up. <laughs> Jane. This is from Ephesians, and it's spoken to me especially um, in the last year. Do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, give your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Yeah, Lord, we receive that. Just break anxiety in the name of Jesus and give us your peace. Thank you, Lord. Nick. Uh, so it is uh, Genesis thirteen fifteen, and it says, I am giving all this land as far as you can see to you and to your descendants as a permanent possession. And I think there's something about seeing it. There's something about believing that God wants to give it and God wants to give it a permanent possession. Thank you. Lord, so for those of us who are feeling a bit displaced at the moment, I get a sense from that that there might be a few of us. Lord, thank you that you're a God who establishes us and steadies us. Give us that land. And would it be solid and permanent? I think one more person came. Oh, is there anyone else coming? Vanessa. Oh, should we swap sides? Let's mix it up a bit. <laughs> I just had the word strength and various scriptures that come, um, come to mind. For example, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Uh, my God arms me with strength and strength will rise as we wait on the Lord. 
So I don't know if that's for just individuals here or whether it's for us as a church, but definitely strength. God, God will give us and give you strength. So, Lord, I pray for whoever, if there are any people here who are feeling it may be physical, it may be spiritual, it may be emotionally weak. Father God, I pray that you would just come with your strength and give those people the strength that they need just to keep going, Father God. And keep strengthening them, Lord, with your mighty right arm, I pray. And, Lord, for those who need to know your joy, I pray, Father God, that you would just come by your Holy Spirit and infuse um, folk here who need joy with, with joy, Lord. Thank you that your word says the joy of the Lord is my strength. And, Father, um, for those of, uh, who are waiting on you, I pray, Lord, that you would answer their, their prayer and their cry for strength as they wait on you. Would you arm us with all with your strength, Lord Jesus, because we can't do it in our own strength. Amen. I've got some... <clears throat> this is a well-known... That's fine. It's a well-known verse, but I do this very occasionally, and I haven't um, stood up in church for many, many years, actually. Um, but sometimes you get a fluttering in the... In, in the chest, you know that the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and this is one of those. So, um, uh, and it's Colossians 3, verse 12, which most of us, a lot of us, will know automatically. But anyway, <clears throat> therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And as I've just spent two minutes thinking about why that verse has just um, uh, come to me, it's just that I just feel that there are some people perhaps here and, and out there that are stewing in their own problems, issues. And I, th I feel that what the Lord's uh, saying, and I'll pray it now, is that, um, that we concentrate on him and he will give us um, uh, all, those, all those fruits of the Spirit. So, Lord, I just pray for all of us here and the, and the entire church family. Lord, let us pray and concentrate on you. And we pray for all of us for those gifts of the Spirit that we can uh, uh, live out uh, the work uh, that you are doing in all of us and can be a great witness to you. And in so doing, we will relieve the concerns and worries and fears of our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Amazing. Can we just give a round of applause to everyone who came to share? It's not always the most comfortable, is it? And just to sort of get up and come forward is... We really appreciate it as part of the team in this church. We want to hear what you're sensing the Lord's saying and do pass it on to us, and um, particularly when there's scriptures to kind of reinforce, it's just brilliant.